to another episode of Leads to Deals. Leads to Deals. All right, guys, Scott Morse here with the Leads to Deal podcast, where we talk about everything from leads to deals, and we talk about everything that leads to deals. I am super excited to have one of the most talented sales individuals I've ever met in the real estate, wholesaling, and investment space. I've known him for a number of years now. I'm super happy to have him here today on the podcast. He's one of the biggest investors in the nation. His name's Alex Cazada. I want everybody to welcome Alex Cazada to the Leads to Deal podcast. How's it going today? Fantastic, amazing, thank you, Scott. Awesome, 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 man. So let for the people who are watching this now, for the people that are watching on YouTube or Instagram, Tell me a little bit about yourself, my man, how long you've been in the sales space and what kind of where you're at today. Uh, my first uh, real taste of sales was working under you, uh, where you and uh, another guy, John Britt, taught me pretty much everything I know in sales, handed me books to read, uh, did that for two or three years, Was didn't know much in the beginning, quickly became the top seller for two years. Uh, at that time, I was going to uh, seminars, so learning about real estate, and then I just, you know, I came in one day and was like, hey, I just wanna like, go full force in this, really what I would rather do. And uh, just started, you know, started my real estate career. Uh, first working for myself, did a couple deals. I was missing something in my business. Then started working for somebody else in his business, ran his wholesale business while he did rehabs and new builds. And then uh, shortly within a couple of years, brought my brother in. And then quickly after that, I was like, hey, we just gotta go off and do our own thing. And then that was about eight years ago, seven years ago now. So it's a lot to unpack there, right? So when I said that we were long-term buddies, we've known each other, like it all started because I was running a travel club, which is like kind of like a fancy version of timeshare. And that was how many years ago, would you suspect, when me and you first shook hands? It was like 22, 23? Uh, 22 years ago? Twenty. I was 22 years old, oh, so I was like okay. 13 years ago. Okay, wow. All right, so his first, and I didn't even really connect in my head, but your very first sales job, a professional sales job, uh, was while you were working for us selling Travel Club Timeshare. And just so you know, it's like one of the most vicious sales cycles that exist out there, because correct me if I'm wrong, you were traveling from city to city to city, almost like a sales pirate, right? And then what was the sales process like there? So uh, it was all face to face. So what we did first was we uh, met the customer, building rapport, discovery, a lot of discovery questions. What are they doing for vacation? Where would they like to go? Who do they travel with? What are they doing? What are their, their goals for traveling? And just you know, build a friendship, build a relationship. Uh, it's really all about making a friend, getting them on your side, and then kind of uh, forecasting to them what's gonna happen. So right. telling them ahead of time, hey, what's, next, what's gonna happen next is you're gonna go into a presentation, John's gonna uh, you know, tell you all the, the fantastic things you could do with this, what you can't do with it, how it works, how you can utilize it for you and your family. And then you're, when you come back out, we're gonna talk again about if this is the right fit for you. And if it is, it is. If it isn't, no big deal. We'll take away there up front. And then, um, and then at that point, you know, once they go to the presentation, it's about an hour long, shows them everything, they come back out, we talk to them face to face. If I can't close that deal, you know, I'm able to do a little bit of a drop on the pricing. And then if not, that's when I would bring in you or John or Stanley or whoever else was on our team to like do a takeover. Yeah, and so for me, I think every time you see a radio ad or a TV ad or something, they're like, oh, come to this local hotel for X, Y, Z. 
Unless you've ever been to one of those sales environments, you really don't understand because as crazy as that was when we worked together for that brief period of time before you went off in like a rocket ship and started into the real estate industry, but you're literally inviting people to like a rundown hotel. I mean like a Holiday Inn or a Courtyard Marriott, not even a nice Marriott, a Courtyard Marriott. Sleep. And before a sleep-in hotel, right? And you have a bunch of kids essentially in sales but before you know it, somebody you just randomly met who was bribed to come in is giving you a credit card for five to eight to $10,000. The very first time you saw that concept and you were like, wait a minute, these guys are renting out a hotel and doing 60, 70, 100 grand days. What was like your mindset way back then, 13 years ago when you saw that for the first time? I, I loved it. It was, it was uh, it's definitely my vibe of what, I, uh, it definitely attracted me. To, to get that, like face to face, you're making things happen in this quick time period. You know, you're spending an hour with me and I'm converting you to, to give me a, a check. When you went, 99% of these people going up front, they're like, I'm not buying a thing. You know, you, and that's one of the things you break the pack in the beginning. Hey, did you guys make this agreement that you're not gonna buy anything? And just keep an open mind. You know, you, you would do that because everybody would say that because they just came in for the free gift. They want the free getaway, the free cruise or gift card or whatever it may be that we were giving away for marketing. And so they came in really like guarded and fences up. So it's really just built, uh, building rapport in the beginning, but it is crazy. Like we had fucking amazing weekends and days and stuff like that. And it was very cool. It was like good bonding and stuff like that. And I learned a lot because it was like entrenched, you know, we were gone from like Thursday to Sunday every week. So uh, that's where I picked up like, you know, a lot of skills. Yeah, so one of the things that you just said, I was thinking about actually on my drive-in today, but you know, one of the most important things in sales is to own the objection. And so how you own an objection is you say it first. And so what he just talked about is something called breaking the pack. And so how we used to train back then and we still apply on throughout all of our sales is people, when they go to one of these hotels, when they go to these face-to-face -face, on the car drive over, they're like, we're gonna get them, honey. We're not gonna buy anything today, right? Remember, you be the good cop, I'd be the bad cop but we knew 100% of the people did it. Yeah. And so you could call them out on it with conviction and say, hey, listen, I know I'm confident, probably on the drive over, you probably said, turned to your wife and said, honey, no matter what, we're not buying anything today. I don't care what they say, I don't care what they offer. And then all of a sudden you flipped it on them by breaking the pack and you would be like, hey, since I know you said that, all I can ask is, it's not for everybody, but if at the end of this presentation, it feels like something that you would benefit from, you just don't allow that silly conversation that you had prevent you and keep you with a closed mind, et cetera, et cetera. So that's a, that's a really good, wonderful, like sales strategy, which is owning the objection or breaking the pact as a lot of industries call it. So cool. So you did that in that environment, which is face-to-face, -face, aggressive, raw dog sales, high ticket sales. How did you first learn about the real estate industry? Like what was the very first time you heard the word wholesaling or like that type of investing? So it was like Ron LeGrand on a radio ad, just driving in. I was still at UCF at the time. Um, radio ad, I'm coming to the seminar, I wanna buy houses with no money down. So one of those same seminar things, like, hey, come to a hotel and we're gonna figure out a way to take money from you. Yeah, for sure. And I, they did, I, I bought literally, well, at that first one, it was like selling a boot camp. So it was like five grand, three to five grand, I forget, to go to this three day event that Ronald Graham was putting on. And that was a pitch fest of, hey, learn how to do short sales, learn how to do uh, marketing and doing this and this and this, like every little, little niche. And I literally bought everything and bought everything, started digesting it. Um, and this is when I was with, with the travel club. And so I literally started, started the education while I was working and continued to learn and, 
and started doing some marketing a little bit myself. And then it was just like, I could only really do things like Monday, Tuesdays, really, because we were going right. every every weekend. So it was like, man, like it just came to a point where like, I am spending money on marketing, like I'm testing it out and it's not really going anywhere for me because I just not, I needed to be my full focus. So I was making money obviously with you guys. So I just was like, hey, I got to cut ties and just do my own thing. So I just went full force in it, did a couple deals. And then uh, most of that time was like a lot of REO properties in the beginning. But uh, after that, you know, I linked up with somebody else who was doing, doing, uh, doing a good number of deals himself and was looking for an employee. I was looking for a mentor. He's like, I don't want to mentor you. I'll like hire you if you stick around. And then like in a week or two weeks, I learned like what I was missing in my, in my business. And I could have left, but I'm only a loyal person. So I stayed with him and you know, for three years. So what's so funny is what he just said is what's the truth about all closers. I think closers are the easiest people to sell. So even though you literally know what the hustle is, you know what the game is, you incentivize people to come to the hotel, you're gonna say, hey, it's free, come pick up all this information before you know it's credit card after credit card after credit card. But I find that like salespeople real good are like the easiest guys. They see it, they yeah. want it, boom. And you work hard for it. 100%. So you did that. But the takeaway for me is, is like you invested in yourself. 100%. So you already had this other opportunity you were making good money in. You went to a pitch fest, a self-prescribed pitch fest. You bought this stuff and then you realized you couldn't be halfway pregnant. Yep. Like, hey, do I want to be an independently wealthy guy or do I want to continue to work for Scott? He chose independently <laughs> wealthy. So once you made that decision, walk us through a little bit more of some of those mindset changes that you've had, because let's be honest, you went from being a top tier salesman to a closer to now an enterprise businessman. So there must've been certain levels of mindset changes that happen. So kind of walk us through what happens when you quit your steady Eddie commission job and start being now on your own. Yeah, so uh, it's getting in those rooms. Like even though that one was a pitch fest, like it definitely opened my mind to like what's possible. Like one of the guys that I remember, I don't remember his name, but I remember him going, he was talking on stage and he just stopped and was like laughing. He's like, man, I'm talking for everybody here. And like, I didn't even graduate eighth grade. He's like, and I flew here on my jet. He's like, it's fucking crazy. And it's like, I was like, wow, wow, that's amazing. I'm like, I went to school and I got straight A's. And I was like, we're we good in school. I'm like, I can, I can do that too. Yeah. You know, so like, just like the mindset and the belief and getting in the right rooms with people who are doing big things, who are making things happen like yourself. It's like surrounding yourself with those people like elevate you continually. And you always got to get into those new rooms because at one point in time, like after I left that company, I was working uh, me and my brother, we were doing three to five deals a month. Mm. And I was always like, you know, I thought we were doing good, you know? And then I went to this other event, uh, can go to your event. And we went to that event and there's guys doing 20, 30 deals a month. And I'm like, oh shit, like, I should do that. Like that's right. way better. And like, it's just being in those right rooms and continue to push yourself and educate yourself with either books or meetings, mentors, because you, you don't know what's possible until you know it's possible. Yeah. So I think that's a big mindset thing too, because what you said, it's no disrespect to the people that you saw on stage, but you were like, if he can do it, I can do it. And it's not like, oh, I'm smarter than him, but it's like, hey, it's been proven before. Yes. And so you don't know, it's like the four minute mile Roger Bannister, right? You don't know that you could, a human can run a four minute mile until it's done and you see somebody doing 20, 30 deals a month. Uh, so to take you now to that level and beyond, and I know you're doing significantly more than 30 deals a month now, but what did you have to do from a business fundamentals? Did you have to like start to spend more? Did you have to hire more? Walk me through some of those fundamentals that takes you to where you're at today. So 
I could, I could close deals. So at that point in time, we were we were face-to-face sales. I was driving around, appointment to appointment, my brother like set appointments. I had to go from Cocoa Beach to Orlando to Kissimmee to Lake Mary to fucking Mukawa and just driving around closing these sellers. And I would literally be like eight and ten, like three Ooh. and four. Like I was close if I'm at the appointment, I'm closing it, I'm closing it. And so I I thought, you know, we were doing good. But when I went to that event and they're like, you know, what are you spending on marketing? And I'm like, three to five grand. They're like, try spending 30. So we spent 30 grand on marketing. We pushed up our marketing. We started doing more deals. And it was still face to face. I was just going on more appointments and was still closing a lot of deals. It was just, we had more leads. We had more appointments and it was all that. And then after that point, you know, it was just hiring. So it was hiring first an assistant because there's with these types of leads, it was always like, so it's real estate leads. It's leads that are, you're going after people like it with hardships. So either they're going for closure, they got code violations, they got liens, they're going through probate when they inherit a property and to go through a bunch of steps. So like I was not only closing deals, but I'm also like dealing with all these issues, problem issues. So my first hire was like an assistant to handle, to help handle some of this live work and, and the little menial tasks. And then after that was an acquisition agent. And then from that point, it was just literally hiring, hiring more people. So in this business, really it's for me, it's from everybody, it's uh, marketing, sales, converting the leads. So you need to make sure you get leads in, you can convert the leads. And then it's just people, having more people to continue to grow and scale your business. So it's also, like you said, those seeds that you watered and then grew into monster force came from being in the right rooms and kind of hearing the right things. Cause when somebody, the light bulb must've clicked when you were like, oh, I'm spending three to five. And the guy you wanted to be like is say, I'm spending 30 to 50. Did you have the capital to do that at that stage? Did you have to borrow money? Like, how did you make that immediate jump from three to 30? Platinum Amex. <laughs> so Platinum Amex, put it on the Platinum Amex, and then just continue. I knew if I put out the money that I was gonna close the deals. Yeah. So I knew if the marketing would come in. So if you, before you spend money, you wanna make sure that you have a good conversion ratio. If you can't convert shit, then you shouldn't go spend more money. You yeah. gotta tighten up your conversions, make sure you have good conversion ratios, and you can convert properly. And if you can do that, then it's okay to spend more money on marketing. And then, and even along the points of way of hiring more people and who would know to hire next, being in masterminds and having hiring coaches is what allowed is what told me to go to the next steps. Like right now, I'm in like three or four masterminds, three masterminds about to join a fourth mastermind, and it's like it's just for those little things. And even like I do some coaching with some people as well. A lot of times, it's just hearing it again. Like you got so much going on, and it's just like I know what to do, and it's just like. I'm in this group and this guy's saying, this is his issue. And they say, oh, this is what I did. Like, oh shit, I, I knew that. I just haven't done that yet. I didn't implement that. That was in my notes, I haven't done that. And it's just like a lot of that. So when you surround with people who are doing the same things you're doing and have the same problems, it just you just know the solutions quicker. Yeah, I love that. It's a lot to unpack there too. Cause when you think about what you did to jump from three to 30, you did it because you know that you could close those leads. And I meet a lot of people in your industry as well too, that they wanna spend more, but they've never really closed the deals themselves. And no one will ever love his 30 grand more than you loved your 30 grand. And so if you had a staff in there to them, it's just a lead to you. It's like, hey, this credit card has to be paid back. And so I know that you must have treated those leads like the like the necessity that they were to your business. Did you ever get scared at all a little bit in there? Uh, yeah. There was like, it was like the, it was like literally almost like a year later, I was spending so much more money on marketing. I was like, I literally can, so, one big thing is mindset. Yes. Mindset and having the belief and faith and that what you're gonna do, what you're gonna put out is gonna come back to you. 
um, and then obviously taking action on it. But I was literally at a point in time like, I do not have money. Like, all, I have all the spend out there and I, deals, these types of deals. I was talking about the co-violations of probates. There's delays that come up. So you'd be like expecting to close 100K and then four of the deals get delayed for three weeks or two weeks or fall out completely. And you're like, oh shit, like I ain't got no money coming in <laughs> for 30, 40 to five days. So like there were a couple times on that, I'm like, this is scary for yeah. sure. But like having the belief like, hey, I got to keep spending marketing, keep getting these deals closed and it will just, it will happen. And so that Amex helps also for that. Yeah, I can imagine so, because now you're leveraging future monies and you're paying it back and you got all these things you got, but overall you had a belief in yourself and a mindset shift that continued to grow. When you started to scale human capital, I think you said it's your brother that you brought on, right? Yeah. So your brother was your first major person. <clears throat> how did you struggle as your company's grown and how many people are total just in your Orlando operation now? 16. 16. How have you struggled or what have you learned with delegating now that you're not the primary, I assume you're not the primary closer? Uh, I, the only deals I really close are like self-storage deals. Um, and sometimes I'll step in like creative financing deals if they need a little help on those, like doing subject to or seller finance uh, opportunities that come through our typical wholesale leads. Right. Uh, but my brother pretty much runs the wholesale operation and he'll do the takeovers and whatnot. But pretty much our closers, pretty much go front to back on deals. And then my brother, my TO. Did you struggle at all with the delegation side? Like as you were coming out, because a lot of us alpha closers, right? The guys who are used to, we started it from nothing, started out of our spare bedroom. Uh, I was going through your Facebook profile two days ago in advance of this. And I was seeing like all these yard signs. You had pictures go back from 2013 of signs that he put in the grass. And mm. like you were real deal bootstrapping this. And that Alex versus this Alex today, where you got 78 deals on the board last month, you said, but you have all this, that's a big, big mindset shift. You had to have, well, I shouldn't say had to, did you struggle with delegating some of these yeah. responsibilities or were you like, just go for it? <sighs> no, it's definitely hard to, to let it go. Cause like no one, you know, 100% can close more deals in, in, from people in my office than they can. Um, but it's, you're never gonna grow like that. But I still have that problem, like, and it is a little bit of a problem, but not really. I feel like, like when I got into self storage, like I want to know everything. I wanted to dive into it. I literally slept on the floor of this property in Sebring with no bed and no couch. I literally slept on the floor because I wanted to see what it looked like at night, see what happens at night, what's the activity, what's going on, what, it, what the lights look like in the morning, like what happens and stuff like that. So like, I wanted to know a little bit of every little piece of the business and you know, some of my business partners, other people are like, oh, that's kind of like a waste. Like you don't need to do that. So like that, like I need to do it. Like yeah. I want to know what's going on in every aspect. So I know the knowledge of how to, to properly delegate or train them or whatnot. Um, so I'm a little bit of like control freak. So like I like to be in control and know what's going on. Uh, but it is easier now when you do have someone like my brother, so I can like rely on, rely on him who I know he's, you know, followed me for 10 years, he knows, I know what he knows what he's doing. And it's also like, uh, what I hear you say all the time is like, they don't, um, it's not what they, what you expected, what you inspect. Yes, yeah. So like making sure you're checking on your guys to make sure they are hitting their numbers and their conversions and whatnot, because although you can't delegate it, you wanna make sure they're getting shit done. So I think that's a really valuable lesson for people who are looking at scaling. The problem with scaling is insight into your operation. Uh, small leaks sink big ships. 
And so as you want to grow your ship bigger and you want to go deeper into the ocean, if you're not watching these things and leveraging technology or keeping up with the numbers, it's very, very easy to all of a sudden look back three months later and be like, oh my God, we're taking on water. So I love that you said that, like that you still have your hands on kind of the higher level stuff. That's what it sounds like. It sounds like you're moving up the knowledge tree and you've been able to delegate or you have a great support staff, but anytime you want to see what they're doing, you're able to see the KPIs. What are some of the common KPIs for everybody out there that you look at just on the wholesale side, maybe not the commercial investment or self-storage stuff, but what are some of your daily KPIs or weekly KPIs you're looking at? Uh, the closing ratios, how many people uh, an agent's talking to, their talk time, um, uh, how many leads we're getting in, the cost per lead, uh, leads to deals. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and so those are like the top ones. It's mostly like uh, acquisition agent related. And then um, I think for us, like talk time is huge. And then just the conversion rates. So for me, this is another big thing. I talk to people who want to hire my other company service, Lamasu. And one of the ways I call them red flags. Like the very first question I'll ask is, do you guys record your closer phone calls? Because I know instantly you're not inspecting what people are saying with your money. Those are your dollars. You just spent $220 a lead for this PPC lead or $80 for this cold call lead, whatever it is. But if you can't listen to a call, you can't calibrate a call. You can't hop in and take over a call. And so like that's a major, major red flag. And the second thing I say is a major red flag is not having a nurturing campaign. Because while we're always all about the one call close, the reality is, is your industry is about timing, follow significantly about timing and follow up. So I know it's cheesy that the fortune's in the follow up, but it really is. So we know that you have the insights, what kind of nurturing system or what, and did you always have a nurturing campaign? If you do have one today and then. Well, we use uh, uh, Synergy CRM. So like it has a lot of automatic drip campaigns and uh, everything with the nurturing very well. But with, um, it is all follow-up. So like in the beginning, we had terrible follow-up because we didn't have a CRM. Me and my brother did 88 deals by like pen and paper and we probably could have done 120 if we knew where every paper was. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, it was, uh, the CRM would really make it easier. We had a Podio and it was a, we really paid for a Podio and it was a nightmare with that one. But with uh, the Synergy CRM, it's, it's fire and it makes it very easy to uh, make sure you don't let leads uh, fall through the cracks. And so that's the, the how we stay, make sure we don't miss, miss leads. Yeah, cool. So again, to put into perspective, he originally didn't have something that had a uh, really good nurture follow-up. Now you do have something that has nurturing follow-up. That's great. I just saw, because you asked to use one of my boardrooms in the other office, I just saw you come out of a coaching call with a student. Wow. I assume it's a student there. It's a paid student. It wasn't a free. Yep, tell, it's a one-on-one -on -one paid student. Coaching call is our first call with that with the guy. When you left out of that call, and I'm sure they'll see this, so I, it, I want to still talk transparent. When you left out of that call, did you say, man, he's got to work more on the foundation or he's working on the walls to the house? So he's kind of like just really starting a little bit. Uh, he's been in wholesaling, he's flipping and stuff like that, but really on the wholesale side, he just, he all he did was disposition properties. And his actually father dispositioned a bunch of properties for me for many years, like he sold properties for me. And so uh, they got an operation starting in, in Puerto Rico and then um, wow. I was trying to get Orlando growing because I'm in that market also. And so um, they know they have the knowledge and they have buyers, which is strong. And I just really told them like, hey man, like for the first call, I'm like really go back to your buyers. Obviously the market's changing, find out exactly what they're buying, what they're looking for. 
and then you can pivot your marketing towards that so you're not doing so broad you can really target into what they're looking for and um so i think they'll be good they there's solid guys so uh they had some insight uh some questions about like cold calling and things like that and how they could set up their own kind of uh, staff in cancun so i've seen Cancun's a great place, <laughs> good for them. Uh, but I've seen uh, a guy on your Instagram or something, it's a gentleman, uh, I, I don't know his name, I'm sorry off the top of my head, but he's a gentleman that I think that you, you're you coaching, he was a coaching student, but you used to dispo all of his deals for him. And like, so are you doing that for a lot of people in Orlando or if you have a deal in Orlando or Central Florida or what are your markets, should they reach out to you if they can't move it or if they need help with cuts? Talk to me about your footprint and those types of relationships. Yeah, so buyers is a, uh the last thing in my business that I let, let, I let go, I delegated, was the was the dispositions. So I always had a strong, like when you talk about dropping signs, like I used to drop signs and say, you know, three, two, investor special, and you call me in certain areas, and I would build buyers lists. And so I would just build relationships with these buyers from that, and then going to a lot of networking events. So, and then selling good deals. So selling good deals, they would love me and come back and buy more and more and more deals. So I built a lot of good uh, buyer relationships in Central Florida and starting to do in Tampa and other areas as well that we were in. And so speaking at uh, certain like networking events, people have come up to me and asked more, you know, advice on how to get started and things like that. So a lot of times in the beginning, I, I put a lot more of my effort, uh, my time and effort with them and would like go on appointments with them mm. and help them negotiate a deal. They can see what happens, you know, how, what to say and how to overcome injections. And then we would lock up the deal together and we would split it 50-50. And for about uh, 18 months, me and this one gentleman for 18 months, he brought leads to me, I close them, I'd help him close, I'd go on appointments with them, he'd do it himself and I, he'd just come back to me for you know underwriting, comping, things like that. And we split deals 50-50 for about a year and a half. And I wow. think we split like 300K. A year, a year and a half. I didn't pay any marketing, total profit for me, just my time and effort. So it's a great strategy. So if you're already wholesaling out there, there's gonna be the youth out there, or the people that are just getting started that really need help and having that trusted confidant, somebody that they can mirror, somebody that they could go to for help. It's a great way to make an extra. It was 150 to you, right? 150 to me and Ooh. free and it was easy. Like he would bring me deals. I just send out an email. I'm like, oh, I know who this is for. I know who would buy this at this price. And it's very easy. So like when you have that knowledge and um, you know, it took me a long time to get that knowledge and network and buyers list and things like that. So like, if you have that in your community, then you can just start like little pop-up, you know, meetups and teach people a little bit about acquisitions, have them go out for you, go get deals for you and bring it back and you just put them 50 50. It makes it easy for them, makes it easy for you. It's free money essentially. Free money, everybody should like that. All right, cool. So before we talk about self-storage, because I think that's a big thing. I know that where you're at in self-storage, like if you just did 78 wholesale deals under contract last month, and I will talk about how many you're doing in self-storage, where you were at two years ago in self-storage, just looking in the comparison, it's gonna be a rocket ship. Like I just know you well enough by now. But I wanna talk full disclosure about how I even found out about the real estate investment wholesaling industry. And so about two and a half years ago, he invited me to a conference in Tampa hosted by Raphael Vargas. Raphael Vargas, super cool guy. I like the guy, a lot, a lot. I think he's a super talented young man. But what he kept on saying to me, what Alex would say to me is, hey, listen, you already got this massive call center in South Florida. If you'll just insert this product into your call center ecosystem, you'll murder it. And that's really, for me, the whole point of this podcast is for people to understand that the fundamentals are the fundamentals, man. 
It doesn't matter what the product is. You still have the same five-step sales process, six dependent on the industry, but you still gotta go through the process. You still gotta have that mindset shift. You still have to believe in yourself. You still gotta spend money on marketing. You still gotta be creative and be aggressive and, and to be the difference between being a closer for somebody or being your own boss and kind of scaling. So when you think about whether it was Raph or Kent or, um, cause you mentioned Kent Clothier or any of these other guys, what are some of the big nuggets that you've taken or who are you actively in? Like, how are you continuing your education with these guys? Um, so I'm in, so Kent's meeting was the one that did like the 20 to 30 deals and got me exploding. I was, uh, and then Kent was, I was like in Kent ever first mastermind, like even before I was doing three to five deals a month myself when I was working for somebody else. But, um, so I know him for a long time. I'm in his mastermind. I'm in uh, a self-storage mastermind specific to self-storage, about to join uh, CG. Um, and then I'm in like another one. I'm in a Pace Morby group with creative financing. Uh, so I'm just like, I knew creative financing. I did a bunch of deals before even Pace came on the market, but like, I just wanted to know the way he's doing it. What's different from him. And there's always people like, there's new people in, in the market come out who've been doing deals for a year maybe do two or three deals a month and they put out some kind of course. I might buy that course just because I want to see one little nugget, one little nugget in this book or this course or this training. And it just can change my business. Like maybe they're doing something that works differently in their market than my market. Maybe I'm going to go into that market. So like you can always get these little tips and tricks from anybody, someone who's brand new. So that's why I always like am open to everybody and, you know, doing different coaching and events because you always can pick up nuggets if you know what you're looking for. Yeah, I love it. And what I was thinking about when you're coaching is, if I wanted to get access to $500,000 worth of coaches, I would literally just hire you. Because I know you spend more money on coaches and masterminds, and I don't know what your cumulative life total is, but I know it's hundreds of thousands of dollars that you've spent. Yeah. So being in rooms with guys like you synthesizes that down. Being in a room with another guy who spent 700,000 mm. synthesizes that down because it's all about little nuggets. I went to a Kent Clothier event once, and his was um, treat every lead. I can't Clothier. Uh, I was just talking about it in our other interview. Oh, uh, price is only an issue in the absence of value. That one line really helped rocket ship my sales side here, so I love it. So top wholesaler, single family homes, multifamily, some commercial, but now you're putting a flag down in the self-storage space. So for everybody who's watching this, who in six months from now is trying to figure out where all the deals went, it's gonna be with him. So what are you doing in self-storage currently? What is your trajectory? What do you need to accomplish that? Help them understand why first you're pivoting into this. Um, so it was actually somebody else who was like, hey, like how can we, it was a student of mine who was like, how can we do deals together? Uh, you know, he knew I was doing mobile home parks and apartments. And I was like, well, I have I no self-storage. I have a course that I went through. I just never uh, implemented it. So I gave him that course, he brought it back and I read through it again, and then it just happened to be Scott Myers, I mean, that's the mastermind I'm in. He was like in town the next weekend, so we all went to that event, hired him for coaching, and Great. then um, we just started doing some marketing, and right away we got a deal, June 2020 was our first deal, we closed that. Uh, we got some other traction going on, but the next year, 2021, we closed five self-storage deals. Congrats. One being a development deal, and then uh, the rest were all existing facilities. And then this year we've closed uh, one so far, got 200 contract ones in the close in a month. And then um, those are also creative finance deals. And so really just kind of uh, 
increasing our marketing for that space as well to get more weeds flow and then in going out into different markets as well. So every, all those deals and the ones we have in our contract are in Florida, but we're starting to look outside of Florida, uh, increasing our marketing because we just want to get more. Um, so we're always looking for more deals, more partnerships with you know people um, with money or, or opportunity. So do, do you think that part of your success will be that you started in single family first and generated a sales operation and you have that, or is that not necessarily a requisite? No, it definitely helps. I don't think you need to start with it. Honestly, if I went back and people ask me some of this, sometimes it's like, if I went back, I would have probably, I wish I started with self-storage or multifamily or something bigger and gone bigger. Uh, I would have been way more ahead than I am right now. Um, you know, I just, what I, what I was taught in the beginning was just single family. The ad I heard on the radio was single family. So if I heard an ad on the radio for self-storage before, you know, I might have a billion dollars under assets already. Yeah, I think that's an interesting perspective as well, too. I think for me, what wholesaling does for a lot of people that I talk to is it funds the rest of their other ventures. Yeah. And so wholesaling is a quick cash, low, typically low asset type of play. You're just getting cash to, to feed back into the beast. So if you look at it as, hey, listen, I'm gonna get into wholesaling to buy apartments. I'm gonna get into wholesaling to get into self-storage. I'm gonna get into wholesaling to take down my own homes because I don't have the capital now. It's a great entry point. So I love it. <laughs>
and your girlfriend or whoever, let's just say a girlfriend, because I was only stupid when I was younger, but your girlfriend all of a sudden wants to break up with you, you're like, oh, you gonna break up with me? No, baby, no, 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 because all of a sudden something that I have is being taken away, something I assume would be there is being taken away, all of a sudden you're acting, oh, baby, I'm so, everything's good, I'm yep. so sorry, because people want what they can't have. Yes. And in your sales process, what I love what you just said is that you're, you're uh, deploying a takeaway in the beginning. Because the customer is confident. I called you, there's a thousand of you out there. I'm not gonna give you any of my property details. And then when you're like, hey, I completely understand. Listen, it's not a good fit for everybody, but if you don't have two minutes of time to give me the details, we'll just move on to the next person, no problem. And you're saying that I know with a lot more wordsmith and a lot more elegance than that, but essentially you're letting them know that, no, I'm the boss. We're gonna be the ones making the decision. And if we want, this offer doesn't exist. It's the same reason when you go into a store and they have a hole in the mall. In the very back, they have every size that you could possibly imagine, but they only have a large, a small, and you need a medium. Like, I don't think we have any mediums left in stock. I'm, I'm sorry. Oh darn, I really wanted that. Let me go see, there may be one in the back. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they go back in the back, there's 70 mediums. So there's all these mental plays. Yeah. And it's all a lot like with like online sales and webinar sales and the, those pitch fest things. It's like, hey, it's for the first 10 people, you'll get this extra bonus. Or if ah. you find it at night, you know, it expires at midnight, things like that. So it's takeaways in every kind of business um, and sales, it's used a lot, uh, but it, it works. I can't believe the countdown clock is still a thing on websites. Uh, Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like we've been using the countdown clock on websites for long enough to everybody know that just always resets when you refresh the page, but that's the takeaway. All right, cool. Second thing, and then we'll start winding this down, voice inflections. So it's kind of a strategy, right? But so when you go to train your agents on how to properly use voice inflections or what voice inflections are, what does that mean to you? So I'll give this credit to you, you gave me the best, uh, example of this you put on the right board it's like uh i didn't say she stole the money the money it's like i didn't say she stole the money i didn't say she stole the money it's just the way you word things of like what gives it the most meaning yes so like i love that training that you did with that and i'm sure you should probably display it one day but it is is amazing so like it's just the way you talk to people and also like tonality too like so when you what we tell our people to do is like match tonality and you're I've, I've seen you good with this too you know you got a southern guy at your at your table <laughs> on a timeshare and you're all talking southern you got a southern draw yourself and like you just match them as well yeah. so when you with the voice inflections the tonality it's telling them really what's the most important part of that sentence and that's how you can you know really draw um from them a reaction yes. in certain ways or make them feel like it is a takeaway or this is really going on. So it's just, it's a strong way that, uh, to use your voice and you don't wanna make sure you don't have the same tone and voice throughout the whole pitch. Yeah, and this is what I love. To me, I wanted to make every podcast almost a masterclass on selling because you know, voice inflections are a real thing. I always tell people when I'm training them, it needs to be like a roller coaster. It needs to be up and down. It needs to be sing song. You wanna bring them in and out because the, the reality of it is, and if you're taking notes, you need to remember this sentence, but telling ain't selling. And if you're not using that voice inflection, it's like, so what we do is we would like to make you an offer today. So what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna go speak to the, oh, and I'm gonna, and we're gonna, and I hope it's just those yeah. voice inflections are what makes it credible. It's what makes it delivered. The people know that you're engaged with them. 
Some of the biggest things that I've learned by having an office here in Latin America is an accent can be also a draw in, particularly if you're very clear and articulate. And so I've met people do this in the stateside where they're kind of fake an accent or whatever, uh, because it draws people in. You have to listen harder. You have to be able to get in. So while you don't necessarily have to do that, I'm just telling you, your voice should go like this while you're talking to people. So I love it. Telling ain't selling, voice inflections, the takeaway. <laughs>
But <laughs> that unique experience with them, they thought it was hilarious. I was in the vibe with them, but it was just one of those things where it just made them love, like, I'm human, you're human. Yeah. And uh, so to take it from there, and they were like, I just can't believe that they bought. Well, they bought because they kind of felt bad, I'm sure. Like, what is this kid doing, 20 years old? It's messed up his pants for us. Yeah. But it just broke up the system. So for sure. the whole point of this for anybody who's watching is thinking about getting into sales is, it's okay to have a bad day as long as you spin it. Just yeah. spin it, put it into it. So cool, Alex, I appreciate your time here. Um, let's have you give us, where, where can the people reach you at, my man? Uh, so my Instagram is at alex.theinvestor.quesada. And then uh, my website, if you're interested in you know, future opportunities, partnering on self-storage or other new construction, mobile home parks, apartments, things like that, it's a Vault Ventures, like a bank vault.net, vaultventures.net. On there, you can also join our buyers list for wholesale opportunities, partner passively on um, future commercial deals, and link with me directly and see what we're working on with uh, current projects and future events that we're speaking at uh, coming up soon. One of the most humble guys I've met in this industry. Uh, he has every reason to have a monster ego every time he walks into one of those rooms that you go at, and he just does it. Like, I, I, it blows my mind with your capacity to uh, still always want to grow, knowing that a lot of times you're one of the sharpest and smartest people in the room or most, most successful people in the room. And also I've seen a lot of people reach out to him for free help and free advice. And I think sometimes that builds a relationship in which they sign up. Um, I know that me and him are in discussions in the near future to launch like a leads to deal collective course that we can bring some value and sales to the industry. So stay tuned for that. Uh, I couldn't be more happier to have had you on today. It's been a great conversation and I look forward to the next time.